Psalm 102. And Father, we ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, we're so thankful that we can gather on Wednesday nights throughout the year and open up the word of God. And Lord, we desire to be encouraged and blessed tonight. We desire to hear from you and to be drawn close to you. So I pray that we would be attentive because it's the end of the day and and perhaps some here, many perhaps, have been up early and uh, getting kids to school, going to work, going to uh, school ourselves, whatever our day may have brought. And and so I know that we can get tired right now. But I'm thankful that for everyone who's made the effort and expended the energy to be here. And Lord, may you just bless that. And may we hear from you right now as we go over these psalms. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that um, I do oftentimes when we're studying the Bible on Wednesdays or Sundays, and I, I hope it isn't annoying, but a lot of times I will encourage you to underline things in your Bible or write notes down, I'll say, for you note takers or for you to write things in your margin. And one of the things that I really like about Calvary Chapel that, you know, being a part of Calvary Chapel uh, since the 80s is uh, that we do place an emphasis on the study of the Bible. And one of the reasons that I don't put the text up on the screen, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I really want you to bring your Bibles and to, to have your Bibles with you, to open them up, to be studying your Bibles, to be writing in the margins, be underlining. And that's why I say to do that, because we want to be students of the Word of God. I think one of the greatest needs in the church today is just going through the Scriptures and knowing the Scriptures. And I think every pastor, particularly today, with the pressures that can be put on pastors and ministries, but they need to decide whether they're going to be entertainers or they're going to be teachers and feeding the people. And so I want us to bring our Bibles, and we got great Bibles if you don't have one. Um, we got, you know, Word for Today Bibles that are at cost in the bookstore. Uh, we'll help you get a Bible if you really need that help because we want you to have the Word of God. And I know for me um, that uh, I like to have my Bible with me pretty much everywhere that I go, and I know many of you do as well. You, you take it to work or you have a, a Bible on uh, your, you know, bedstand that you use for devotion, and maybe you have a Bible that you have at work or whatever the case may be. But always having the Word of God, and I know that we have our pads and, and our phones, and that's good too. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's nothing like just having this and being able to turn to it and write notes and things like that. I love you, you guys' Bibles when you come in. I kind of notice that, that some of them have duct tape on them and things like that. And I remember it was several years ago that I was doing a local uh, interview on a radio station here in Greeley, and I brought my Bible, and it was duct taped up, and for the first five minutes, they were commenting on, you know, your Bible's kind of falling apart, and it's duct taped up, and why don't you just get a new Bible? It's because I had all my notes in there, and highlighted, and underlined, and and I, I wanted to have that Bible. So, you know, we were known as the church with the, you know, people that bring duct tape Bibles and stuff. But one of the things I was able to relay to them was, you know, the person that has a Bible that's fallen apart, it belongs to a person who is not falling apart. So continue to be in the Word of God. Continue to study God's Word. And that's what we do here on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And we're going to get to the Word of God here in just a minute. But I do encourage you to do that. And I pray that, that um, we would mark our Bibles, that we would highlight, that we would underline. And once in a while, what I'll do is I'll say, well, I'm going to give you a quiz. And I'm kind of joking, but tonight I'm going to give you a quiz, all right? So I'm going to ask you seven questions. I don't want you to answer, all right? Don't blurt out the answer because I know a lot of you are really, really smart, and you'll have a tendency to want to do that. But when we get done, you can tell me what the answer is. So I'm going to ask you seven questions, um, and you think about who this is speaking of. Okay, don't say anything until I'm done. This pop quiz. Number one, he was conceived in his mother's womb miraculously. Okay, he was conceived in his mother's womb miraculously. Number two, from infancy... He was called the Son of God. Number three, as a child, he was taken to Egypt for his preservation. Number four, he then returned to the promised land, but was hated and despised by his relatives. Question number five, 
He was beaten, bruised, and killed by the Romans. All right, don't say anything. Number six, on the third day, he was risen to the surprise of many. And then number seven, he will never die again. So what is the answer to those seven questions? Who's it speaking of? Jesus. You guys are so smart. That's so good. (laughs) But there's another answer to this question. And it also speaks of the nation of Israel. And you see, as you think, well, how do you mean it talks of the nation of Israel? As you go through these seven questions, he was conceived in his mother's womb miraculously. We know that Jesus, you know, that uh, he was born of a virgin. That which is conceived of you, Mary, is of the Holy Spirit. And so it was a miraculous birth, uh, Jesus coming to this world. But also the same thing could be said of the nation of Israel. Because you remember that Abraham was told that you're going to be a great, uh, a father of a great nation, Abraham. And you're going to have many descendants. And Abraham, when he was given that promise there in Genesis chapter 12, that he had to wait 25 years, him and Sarah, they didn't have any children at that time, and they had to wait 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. And it was when Sarah was not, uh, 89 and Abraham was 99 that the Lord came and said that next year you're going to have a child, Sarah, and she would conceive past the age of uh, having children. Uh, and so it was a miracle. It was a miraculous birth of Isaac that came when Abraham was 100 and she was 90 years old, past the age of childbearing. So there was the father of a nation, Abraham, giving birth to Isaac and then to Jacob and then his 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes or the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So miraculous birth concerning the nation of Israel. Number two, from infancy he was called the Son of God. And we know that the nation of Israel, God's people, were called uh, his son. We know in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, I'll read it to you, as Moses is on his way to speak to Pharaoh, he would say to Moses uh, that you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say, let my son go that he may serve me. We know that the prophet Hosea in his book, Hosea was ministering to the 10 northern tribes of Israel in about 750 BC, about 30 years before they would go off into captivity. He was there prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam II, and and we know that there was great economic prosperity, and the nation seemed to be strong externally, but internally, spiritually, it was very corrupt. There was problems, and the prophet was warning and, and given prophecy, and he gives some amazing prophecies. I can't wait till we get to the book of Hosea, but in chapter 1, verse 10, uh, talking about the restoration of Israel, he, he writes, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them, you are, not, uh, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. So the nation of Israel called the Son of God. And, of course, it was Jesus that was from infancy called the Son of God. As Mary was told that not only that which is conceived of you is of the Holy Spirit, but you shall bear a son, and he shall be called the Son of God, as Luke chapter 1 records for us. Number three, as a child, he was taken to Egypt for his uh, preservation. And we know that, as we discussed on Christmas Eve, as uh, the wise men from the east came and uh, they had an audience with Herod the Great, he was very troubled that they were there in Israel, in Jerusalem, looking for the new king of Israel. And so he would make that decree to have all the male children two years and under put to death uh, there in Bethlehem. So it was Joseph that was warned by the angel, take your family, Mary, and your son, and go to Egypt. And there he was, and he was preserved and protected until Herod the Great uh, ended up dying, and then they would come back into the land. But we also know concerning the nation of Israel that Abraham was told in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, that know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will be afflicted 
for 400 years. And then the Lord goes on in that chapter to tell Abraham, but in the fourth generation, that is after 400 years, they shall return uh, here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, I'm going to be dealing with the Amorites, the Canaanites, the different Canaanite tribes that are all over the land. And so it would be 75, Jacob and his family, that would go into Egypt because there is great famine. And you know the story as we read those chapters in Genesis, how it was Joseph that became the prime minister and would bring his family in during that time of famine. But also God was dealing with the iniquity of the Amorites, dealing with them. And it was a small nation that grew to a great nation from 75 to 2.5 million people. We know that number five... That or number four, he returned to the promised land, but was hated and despised by his relatives. And we know that Jesus would come to Nazareth, and remember that it is recorded that Jesus would go into the synagogue in Nazareth. He would open up Isaiah, and, and he would read that prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, and he says, it has been fulfilled in your hearing, and the people were so upset, and, and they drove him out of the synagogue. They were going to throw him off a cliff, You remember that? And he would pass right through them. But we also know that it was even Jesus, his mother and brothers and sisters came there to the Sea of Galilee, and they thought that he was out of his mind, and you need to come home. And and we hear those stories, and we know that it was his brethren. It was his relatives that would cry out, crucify him, that we will not have this man rule over us. We know that when Israel, when they came back into the land, after God would miraculously lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land eventually after 40 years and under the hand of Joshua and the leadership of Joshua, they were given their allotment. But then we see in their history that it was the relatives of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites, all relatives of Israel, the Edomites, they were descendants of who? Of Esau, right? The relatives of Israel. Ammonites and the Moabites were uh, from the descendants of Lot, their daughter, uh, Lot's daughters that had that incestuous relationship with him as we read in the book of Genesis. And they were always warring with Israel and trying to do them in and wipe them out. Number five, he was beaten, bruised, and killed by the Romans. And we know that Jesus, that he was crucified in 70 A.D., or not 70, but he was crucified before the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus crucified in about 32, 33 A.D. outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Crucifixion was that method of execution by the Romans. But then in 70 A.D., that we know that the nation would be uh, scattered and taken into captivity as Titus and the Roman legions came in. They surrounded Jerusalem. They broke through the walls, and there was great death and destruction and devastation as the first, the second temple, that is, would be destroyed, and not one stone would be left upon another. And they would go off into captivity for 2,000 years, just as it was told of the prophets of old. And they would go into all the nations, as it is told, that would happen in the Old Testament as the prophets came on the scene. And then number six, on the third day he was risen to the surprise of many. We know that Jesus rose on the third day. Do you realize that it's only about two and a half months and we're going to be celebrating Easter? We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and going over the gospel narratives, how the tomb is empty, and the women that came to the tomb on that first uh, uh, Easter morning or resurrection Sunday as the tomb is empty. He rose from the grave, and as Jesus would talk about his crucifixion, he would also talk about his resurrection. He never talked about his crucifixion without also saying to his disciples and to the others that I'm going to rise again after three days, but they didn't understand. And so it was a surprise to them when they found the tomb was empty, and we read those accounts. But there's an amazing prophecy also that Hosea gives, and I, I find it to be one of the most amazing prophecies. I'll read it to you in the scriptures. And Hosea, he's talking about the impending uh, judgment that would come on Israel. In chapter 5, verse 15, he says, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they shall earnestly seek me. 
you see, Hosea is talking about that time that as we look at this psalm, Psalm 102, it's interesting that some believe that Psalm 102 was written during the time that the Babylonians would come in and they would destroy Jerusalem. And the psalmist is going to talk about a set time. So some believe that perhaps it's speaking about when Daniel was reading the prophecies, or he knew of the prophecies of Jeremiah, that the captivity would be 70 years. And we see that in Daniel chapter 9. And so he's praying about the, the end of the 70 years of captivity, and then Gabriel shows up and says, but I want you to have understanding about 70 weeks, Daniel, that are determined for your people and your holy city. So we see that amazing prophecy that is called the 70 weeks of Daniel or the 70 weeks concerning the nation of Israel. And 69 of those weeks or 69 periods of seven years have already taken place. There's still a, a, a seven-year period where God is going to be dealing with the nation. And that's spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And it's going to be a very, very difficult time. And Daniel also speaks about it in his prophecies in his book. And in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, great tribulation. And that's what Hosea is speaking about, that the nations are going to gather uh, against Israel. And we know that Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling. And as you look at that, it looks like they're going down. They're going to be wiped out. They're going to go through tremendous difficulties and persecution by the hands of the Antichrist and the nations of the world. And then they will cry out to the Lord. And that's what Hosea is speaking about here in the text. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. And then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Joel talks about in Joel chapter 2 that they'll have a fast. They will call out on the Lord. And then they will recognize that Jesus was truly their Messiah, their Mashiach. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, in that day, all of Israel will be saved. But they're going to go through difficulties. But here's one of the amazing prophecies that I want to get to about Hosea chapter 6. He goes on and he says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has, has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. Absolutely amazing prophecy. That after two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Jesus rose on the third day, didn't he? To never die again. And we're going to talk about that very thing even uh, on this Sunday as we continue through Colossians. He's the, the firstborn of the dead, and, and he's the first to resurrect to never die again. But we also know that the nation of Israel, remember that Peter, that he would write in his epistle, days but a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day. Two days, two thousand years, out of their homeland, scattered to all the nations. And then we see what happened during the events of World War II as uh, the Nazis and Hitler tried to eliminate the Jews and killed six million of them in, in the concentration camps, the death camps there in Eastern Europe and Poland and some of the other nations. It was a horrible time in their history. And as a result of that event, that they began to come back into their homeland. You see, what makes it absolutely amazing is the Bible talks about not only would they go into captivity uh, and come back to their homeland, not once, but twice. Speaking about the Babylonian captivity is they would go to Babylon and then come back, which happened after 70 years. And it was Cyrus, who was the king of the Medes and the Persians, that gave that decree in 536 B.C. But we also know that the Bible said, and Jesus even spoke about it, about the destruction of Jerusalem, and you're going to go off into all the nations, and you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as he was weeping over Jerusalem there in Luke's account. And we know that after 2,000 years, and what makes it a, an absolute miracle, no group of people, no ethnic group, no national group has ever gone more than three or four generations without a homeland, without losing their national identity. But the Jews went 2,000 years. And as they were coming back, there was talk by the League of Nations, which would later be the United Nations, about, well, why don't we give them a homeland in northern Africa? Why don't we give them a homeland in even South America? 
No, they came back to their home, to Israel, and then in May 1948, they became a nation. They were revived again. It is Ezekiel in the vision of the dry bones, as we see in Ezekiel 37, that vision of the, the skeletons that are there, and they come together, and, and, and the dry bones, they're coming together to, to make a skeleton, and then they stand up, and then all the skins and the muscles and the tissues come on it, and it's just corpse, and then God breathes life into them. It's speaking about a nation that was dead and all of a sudden rose again. And then we know that the prophets also speak about when they would come back into the land. We know that it is Amos that speaks about it in his book in chapter 9. I'll read it to you. That they will not be plucked out. Jesus rose from the grave never to die again. Israel is here to stay. And on that day, as Amos finishes his book, that I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as it is in the days of old. I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to resurrect this nation, and then I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I've given to them, says the Lord your God. So in this quiz that I just gave to you, it speaks of Jesus, but it also speaks of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting as we go through the Psalms, just as we're going through Psalm 102 here, that here is a Psalm of affliction, and it's going to speak about the nation of Israel. Some believe, scholars, that this was written during the time that the Babylonians came into Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple. Very similar to what happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem in the second temple. But this was a time of great affliction. But also, as we go through this psalm here, some believe that perhaps it was a prophecy concerning the Holocaust. And we're going to see that as we go through it. One of the interesting things that, that we do when we go to Israel is we go to the Holocaust Museum. And some of you have been there with us on those trips, and it's absolutely an amazing place as you go in and you see the pictures and the history and, and you see the, the little video clips and all the things they have. It's very somber. It's very serious. It's very, um, very, it, it just touches you. Unbelievable that that happened in history. As you see all the testimonies and you go through it, and it's interesting that in Israel, when you go to the Holocaust Museum there in Jerusalem, that there's lots of soldiers because when you're in high school, they make every high school kid go through the Holocaust Museum. So there's all these young people that are running around and in there and in, in their classrooms. And then when you go into the military, which everyone who lives in Israel has to join the military, whether you're a man or a young woman. You have to go into the military. So all the military personnel goes through the Holocaust Museum so they remember what happened in their history. That now we have an army. Now we're able to defend ourselves. Now how serious it is because the threat is very real even today. Those, those neighbors around Israel that want to destroy her and we need to, now we got a, a mighty army and we need to defend because if they break through the lines, right down the street is our family. So it's, it's very interesting to go there. And when we do, I'll take my group and we'll kind of find a quiet place. And I'll read Psalm 102. And I'll read the first 11 verses here. And we'll see why perhaps that maybe the psalmist looking down through history at this terrible event that happened in World War II where 6 million Jews were, were slaughtered, were killed, Hitler trying to eliminate the Jews as they went to the gas chambers and were going into the furnaces uh, to be burned, uh, the, the things that happened in the concentration camps. So let's begin to look at this, a prayer of the afflicted. But also as we go through it, we're going to see that it speaks of Jesus specifically. It speaks not only of Jesus, but the nation of Israel. As we see a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And we do read in verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. 
answer me speedily. So perhaps, as some scholars believe, that this is a cry to God as the Babylonians were coming in. They surrounded the, the city of Jerusalem. As you read Jeremiah's prophecies, he said, it's going to be great destruction and devastation and death like you've never seen before. He went before the leaders there as they were looking at the valley of Gehenna where they would have their idols were burning their children on the arms of Moloch, where they, they would burn the trash, and he threw that pot down, and he said, just as this pot would break into pieces, that's what's going to happen to Jerusalem if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And that's exactly what happened. And they would break through the walls, and there was great death and devastation and destruction. So perhaps it is being written during that time, or perhaps as we continue, we're going to see that it's speaking of that time of the Holocaust. And, and I'll tell you why perhaps some believe that it is speaking of that time. But one of the things that as we go through the difficulties in our lives, it was we read this psalm of affliction, we know that the psalmist here is saying that don't hide your face from me, incline your ear to me in the day that I call answer me speedily. Whenever we're going through affliction or difficulties, that's our prayer, isn't it? It reminds me so much of what David, he wrote in Psalm 61, as he would say, hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed and lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And David, writing that psalm, when he's running from his son Absalom, who took the throne from him, and a nation came against him, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's out there in the wilderness, and he's wondering there in the wilderness, you know, what's going to happen? And Lord, attend to my cry, attend to my prayer, Lord, when I feel that I'm at the end of myself, is what David was saying. He was at the end of his world. And as he would cry out, he said, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. And when it feels like you and me, when we are at the end of ourselves or the end of our world and our hearts are just overwhelmed, the key is to cry out to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's crying out to the Lord. And he wants the Lord to answer, and that can be how we feel. But know this, that the Lord is working and he hears and he sees you. And then he goes on and he says in verse 3, For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth, or that is, speaks of a fire. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake. I'm like a sparrow alone on a housetop. As, as you read this, it's interesting. As you go through the Holocaust Museum, you see that they, uh, how it is that the, the Germans would lead them into these ovens, and they would go into these ovens. And here it talks about my days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned like a hearth. Or that is, speaks of an oven. It speaks of a fire, a fireplace. And that's exactly what happened to the Jews as thousands upon thousands were led into those ovens. And my heart is stricken and withered like grass, so I forget to eat my bread. Here the psalmist is feeling alone and dry and barren spiritually. He's so afflicted, he's forgotten to eat. And in those death camps, those concentration camps that the Germans set up, there was very little to eat. And they were so overwhelmed. You read the testimonies about how, you know, the disease and the sickness going through, they couldn't eat. I forget to eat my bread because of the sound of my groaning. My bones cling to my skin. And those of you who have been there, you've maybe even seen pictures of it, you know, in your own studies or your own research or, or seeing, you know, the Holocaust being spoken of, how when the Americans came and liberated those camps, how they had pictures of those, they were just skeletons. They had starved to death, and, and their skin just clinged to their bones. And that's what the psalmist here is saying. And I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. A pelican, you think of the skinny legs and the long, skinny neck. And, and that's a description that, that some say, hey, it's a description of kind of what it looked like when they went and liberated those camps and how they starved to death and how very little bread was given to them. And like a pelican, like an owl of the desert. And an owl, we think of an owl, we see owls here, but... Uh, one of the things that owls are known for is their big eyes, right? 
And we look at owls here, and owls are very beautiful. But one of the things that happen, and again, you see it in the pictures when you go through that museum, is that when you are malnourished and, and you are, you know, you know, nothing but skin and bone, your eyes bulge out. A description that the psalmist is saying here. Yes, it could have been during the captivity of Babylon because in the siege, whether it was Babylon or whether it was the Romans, they would surround you and they would starve you out. And we know that Josephus, the Jewish historian, would write about in the second temple period when the Romans came that they surrounded the city and the people were dying because of starvation. And they were, uh, the corpse stacked up in the streets of Jerusalem because of the starvation. But it also speaks of what happened in World War II in Eastern Europe, in the Holocaust. And he says that I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake like a sparrow alone on the housetop. There are those, very few in number, that were hidden by those who would hide the Jews in their attic. They would hide them upstairs, and they had no contact with people. They couldn't go out. They, they were hiding there from the Gestapo and from the Nazis that would knock on the doors down below. There are those who are brave enough to be able to hide some of them, like a sparrow alone on the housetop. And my enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. They had sweared they were going to wipe out the Jews, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. It's kind of interesting. I remember I've been there five times, and I remember reading one of the testimonies there uh, that was there on, on the, uh, one of the places, and they had a picture of they would have them eat outside, you know, outside and their little bread, and literally the ashes from the ovens would come down and mingle with their bread. And he talked about that. And just the weeping and the sorrow and the misery and the suffering that went on. And it describes this. It's so eerie as you look at this. And those, again, because of your indignation, verse 10, and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. So this is one of the reasons why some believe that is it the, the psalmist that's looking all the way 2,500 years through history, maybe longer, and talking about what would happen in the Holocaust. But then something happens in verse 12. And, and all of a sudden, the key, they change in the psalmist's outlook. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of your name to all generations. And that's a real key for, for you and me as we bring it home a little closer for us and make application because all of us will go through some sort of affliction, some kind of difficulties and challenge. And we will in this new year that we're starting. We will have bad days. We will have difficult times. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but here's the key. When we do feel that we're going through those challenging, difficult times, that we are to go to the Lord. And know that as the psalmist here says, and remember of your name to all generations, but you, Lord, shall endure forever, that he's the one that sits on the throne, and he shall endure, and his promises will be true, and you are going to endure somehow, some way, the Lord's going to see you through, just as he would see that nation through, and they would come back and they would revive once again. You see, the Bible never says that we won't go through trials or tribulations. The Bible says we will. But Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's the promise that you and I have. And the psalmist goes on in verse 13, For you will arise and have mercy on Zion, for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. Verse 13, again, is very, very interesting as we look at this, because some believe, again, is this speaking of Daniel when he's talking about, in Daniel chapter 9, praying for the nation because he knows that the 70 years, the set time has come for the Babylonian captivity to be over with? Could it be a reference to that? Or could it be the set time, the set time that God would use that terrible event of the Holocaust to bring the Jews back into their lands as the nations 
uh, would say they need their own homeland. They we're not going to stop them, even though initially there was a trying to stop them. And then the League of Nations said they're going to have their own land. They're going to have their homeland. And 1948, that nation would come uh, to birth and would rise out of the depths of the Holocaust and out of 2,000 years of being in captivity, an absolute miracle. It was a set time. It has come. And verse 14, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and the, all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. The Lord's going to come. He's going to show up in his glory. And, and we know that, that he is going to come back that he's going to come back and we're going to come back with him and all the nations of Zechariah chapter 14 are going to come up to uh, worship the Lord. It's going to be a glorious time. And then in verse 18, this will be written for, for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. So the psalmist looking forward to the freedom of captivity from Babylon. They would be freed from Eastern Europe and pour into to Israel as uh, the Lord would bring them back gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. That will happen when the Lord comes back, when his praise is in Jerusalem because Jesus at the end of that tribulation period, is going to come and restore the nation of Israel. He's going to establish his kingdom, and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth, and you and I get to rule and reign with him. That's our future. such a glorious promise. You know, I was talking to you about Daniel's 70th week or the tribulation period that the scripture said it's going to be a terrible, horrible time, more horrible than the world has ever seen, and Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, then flee, get out. For such there will be tribulation as such the world has never seen or ever will see again. When that Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the middle of the week, after three and a half years, after he makes a peace treaty with Israel, a covenant with many for one week, he will then go into the rebuilt temple and we know from Revelation chapter 13 that he will set up an image of himself and then he will proclaim himself as God, as Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He will exalt himself as God to be worshipped as God. When the Jews say no and the tribulation saints say no, that we are not going to worship you, he will begin to heavily persecute them. And one of the, the very sobering you know, prophecies that we have in the book of Zechariah is that two-thirds will go through the fire. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that the Antichrist is going to eliminate two out of every three Jews? There's going to be a remnant of them that will flee to the rock city of Petra. But I'll tell you what's kind of sobering is I sit there, and I'll sit there and I'll watch those high school kids that are coming to the Holocaust Museum, those precious young kids. I'll, I'll see the soldiers, the young soldiers, and they're only 18, 19, 20 years old, many of them. And I think... Are they the generation? Are these guys the generation that is going to see and go through the tribulation period? Are we that close? And it becomes very real at that moment when you're sitting there and you're watching this and you're reading your Bible and you're in the middle of a land that you see God is raised up and revived and come back into the land. And as you see, God is preparing the nation for what he's going to do. It's absolutely astonishing. And we know that, that the time is going to come where it's going to be very difficult. But then the Lord's going to come back. And he's going to save them. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And we know that he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time as that time will come where he will establish his kingdom. And we read in verse 23, He weakened my strength in the way, He shortened my days. I said, Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. 
in the heavens, or that is verse 25, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And they will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. In verses 25, 26, and 27, it may sound familiar to you. We know that it's specifically speaking of Jesus because it is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12. These verses are quoted here, speaking specifically of Jesus that Jesus is superior and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the psalmist here talking this psalm of affliction, but the hope is in Jesus. And that's what I pray that we take home here tonight is that when we go through the times of affliction and difficulties, that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus every day. In every season we go through, in every moment of our lives because the grass withers away. Life is short, isn't it? And what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last and endure. And I pray that we would always keep that in mind and encourage others to turn to the Lord. You see, our hope isn't in winning the $1.5 billion you know, jackpot. Great for whoever wins it, but you realize how many people are spending thousands of dollars trying to get the winning ticket? They had somebody on TV um, that was, went in and bought $1,200 worth of tickets, you know, when it was at the last time, and, you know, gone, poof. Just this hope that they'll have the winning ticket, whatever. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in him. And he's going to see you through because he endures forever, and he's going to preserve us, and he's going to revive us. And he's going to work in our lives. And he's going to see us through. Well, Psalm 103, very quickly, we'll go through Psalm 103, a psalm of David. The last four psalms of book four, Psalm 103 to 106, emphasizes praise to God and the reasons. And, and we see it here. As this is an uh, amazing psalm. I, I love this psalm because really it helps us to realize how blessed we are as Christians. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David was one that he would say, bless the Lord. Do you know, you know this, that we can bless the Lord. When we come in here and we worship the Lord and we study the word of God, we're blessing him. When we walk in obedience, we're blessing him. When, when from our soul, our soul, the very deepest part of us, the, the mind and emotions that we have, David would say, oh, bless the Lord in his worship and giving thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. And that's how we bless the Lord. And forget not all his benefits. You see, we're very much uh, benefited. It's profitable, the word of God is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, as we study it. That all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. We have the benefits of being forgiven in, in his mercy and grace, and that's what David's going to talk about. But let me ask you this. Have you ever stopped to think about what your life would be like if you weren't a Christian? I know that I have. I think if my life, if I wasn't a Christian, and I think about this when I begin to murmur and complain and think, boy, being a Christian is hard. Because sometimes it is. We go through difficulties. We got people that come down on us and come against us. And we go, you know, through trials. And, and we end up missing out or losing relationships because we've made a commitment to Christ. But I think it is much harder if we weren't a Christian. Just all the confusion and deception and darkness, I think, oh, my, what would I be like if I wasn't a Christian? My life would be a mess. So the benefits of being a Christian and and here are the benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so here, David, he's writing about that we are forgiven. We've been redeemed. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. The Lord loves you. He loves me. And he is our satisfaction 
He says, verse 5 here, who satisfies your mouth with good things. More satisfying than a Snickers bar, you know? I like Snicker bars. I shouldn't eat them, but I like them. And I hope and pray that we are really starting to realize in our lives, especially as we journey through life, that, Lord, you are truly my satisfaction. Not the things and the stuff of the world. The things in the world can be a blessing. I know that. And we're to be good stewards of what it is that the Lord has blessed us with. But truly, lasting fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction, just as we talked about on Sunday, is from you, Lord. It's knowing you. And you're the one that renews me. As the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed and made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel, uh, the Lord is merciful and gracious, loath to anger and abounding in mercy. Verse 8, does that remind you of anything? Of course it does. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, as God would declare his name to Moses, that this is my name, that I am one that's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. You know, God will not force his way into our hearts and into our lives. And the Lord desires for us what I pray is we've humbled ourselves, we've given our lives to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him, but I pray each and every day that we would be humbled before him and say, Lord, I want to go your ways and know your ways and walk in obedience to you. To be teachable and humbled before you. In verse 10, he he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Because as for the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Some of my favorite verses that are in the Psalms. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his mercy towards you and for me. When I was in in junior high, they said that the visible universe was 4 billion light years across. Well, when I was an adult, uh, later on in my 20s, they said it was 12 billion light years across. Now today, I think they're saying that they estimate it's about 47 billion light years across the universe. It keeps growing. And I like that. Because God's mercy just getting greater and greater and greater, you know? As far as the heavens are, you know, above the earth, so is his mercy towards those who fear him. And he takes our transgressions, our sins, and throws them as far as the east is from the west. Not from the north to the south. The east from the west. You go north here, go up through Wyoming, Montana, go through Canada, you go to the North Pole. As soon as you hit the North Pole, you keep going. What do you do? You start heading south. The lines meet. You go south all the way to the South Pole, and then pretty soon you come north. You go east here. You go through eastern Colorado, Kansas. Go east, and you can go east and keep going around, and you're always going east. It's an infinite line. You go west. You keep going west, and go around and around. They never meet. And the Lord says, I take your transgressions, your sins, and I throw them as far as the east is from the west. Another place in Scripture says, that we've already read in the Psalms, he throws them into the deepest sea. As Corey Tim Boone would then say, he puts up a no fishing sign. You're forgiven, you and me. And as the psalmist goes on, and the psalmist says that in verse 14, he knows our frame, he remembers, but we're but dust. You know, I love to talk about living for the Lord and walking in obedience. And we are to, and to live in holiness, we're called to do that. And I think in the church today that we need to be reminded of that. But I also know this, that we have struggles, don't we? And we have shortcomings, and all of us do. And I am so thankful that the Lord is very aware of my shortcomings and my failures in my weaknesses, and he knows me. And he knows that it's a battle against the world and against Satan and against this flesh that rears up its ugly head. 
And he has compassion. And he knows but we're but dust. And he's still merciful and gracious. And that's what I also want us to remember. Because I don't know about you, but I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I can be pretty hard on myself. And sometimes I think, Lord, you just must be through with me. You must be so disappointed with me. You must be to where you just want to hold me out at arm's length because I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be because I still have these struggles and I, I still have these attitudes and I still battle the flesh and all this. And he reminds me that I still love you and I'm doing the work in you. You just stay close to me because he is gracious and long-suffering and patient. And that's what he wants to remind you of here tonight. And for us to be long-suffering and patient with each other as we grow in the Lord, as we grow in love for him and love for each other, let's be patient with each other. Encourage each other. Yes, we're going to encourage to walk with the Lord and, and do well in the things of the Lord. But to remember, but we're but dust. And we all have struggles and shortcomings. And instead of being condemning and judgmental, to be compassionate and gracious towards one another. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for tonight and these words. And we can look at the psalms of affliction. We can look at psalms that why we are benefited because we're so blessed and just be encouraged tonight. And I thank you that on Wednesday night that we can come and just uh, bless you as a congregation and our souls just every time that we come and spend time with you. That's my prayers, that we would be blessed in our hearts. And so, Father, I thank you for tonight. And I pray that you just take everyone home here tonight encouraged and uplifted. And, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to keep our eyes and our focus on you. And I do want to pray if there's anyone that's here tonight that he has died for your sins, Jesus has. He came, he was beaten, he was put to death, and there was a reason for it. The reason is you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, he is your salvation. He's your provider. He died for your sins because the wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short. But Jesus cried out, it is finished. I've done the work and now you come in faith to him. Put your faith and trust in him for salvation. And if anyone's listening on live stream or in this building, I want to give you an opportunity, encourage you that tonight is the night to give your life to Jesus. Don't go another day don't go another day without him because tomorrow is a promise to you. But you give your heart and your life to Jesus now. And right where you are, you pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. And I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again alive, never to die again. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior for you to sit upon the throne of my life. I surrender to you now in Jesus' name. And if anybody prayed that prayer tonight, I'm going to hang around here as we are dismissed here in just a few minutes and come up and tell me the decision you made. If you're on live stream watching or listening to this message on the radio later on, that you would let us know. Tell us the decision you made so we can encourage you and bless you. But Lord, take everyone home safely. We thank you for tonight, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand?